Friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian music. I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and today, I hate to break your heart, but it is not an ordinary guest. We have somebody who's a once-in-a-lifetime privilege opportunity to get to speak to. I think you'll know who he is, um, and I just as soon as I play this, I'm just going to let you guess. Go ahead. Here, here we go. Here we go. You, you guys know that song. That is the song for the president. Mr. President, thank you and welcome to being on the show. Well, thank you. It is an absolute thrill to get a chance to, uh, you know, to hang out with folks. I, I tell you, I love it. Ever since I've gotten uh, rid of all that uh, pressure from Washington, <laughs> just just kicking back. You know, I got my feet up Ooh. on the desk. You know, my my boots are a little stinky. It's it's fun. <laughs> I, I I just love life. And uh, and Erica, and I love you, and I love your peeps. Yeah. So, well, thank you. It's so great to have you here, uh, Mr. President. You know, so you've been you've been out of office for ten years or so. Are you you playing a lot of golf and uh, and connecting with a lot of people? Wow, has, has, it, has it really been ten years, man? Almost. It, it feels like about twenty. <laughs> I bet it does. <laughs> well, friends, well, you probably have suspected by now that uh, we have. Uh, I'm I'm don't have nearly enough downloads to get <laughs> to get <laughs> President Bush. Uh, although I did vote for W twice, I could tell you that story later. But uh, we actually have George W. Bush, the number one George W. Bush impersonator in the country, and an imitator of Jesus, John C. Morgan. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. <laughs> that was fun. Thank you for doing it. Um, I am so excited. I cannot, I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> I, I am truly truly honored to be here. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, you're doing the thumb thing. That was the Clinton's thing, right? For for the people that cannot see us now. Yes. We are we are visual. We are and it's and it's really cool. So picture picture us in your minds. Oh man, I'm such a political junkie, so that's, this is really fun. Um okay, so I want why don't you I kind of introduced you, but tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing and then we're going to talk about your story cuz God has done some really cool things in your life. Well, who I am as a Christ follower, and that's why I'm not a, afraid to say that I'm an imitator of Christ. Um, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 and following says, be imitators of God as beloved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So that's what I am seeking to do with my life. And I'm a good imitator of W and a poor imitator of Jesus, <laughs> but I'm working on it. Yeah, and that's sort of where we are. That's why the show's halfway there. We're I want to say that we're never at the end of that journey. My guess is that even when we get into eternity, we're always going to be learning about him. We can't really exhaust knowledge of an infinite God. So, I think uh I think Wow, that's, that's profound. Yeah. Well, every once in a while I, I mean, how one. could we? We can't. Well, and we'll yeah. be we'll be learning forever. And so even now, there is no there that we're trying to get to. We're just on the journey. I like it. Yeah, thanks. So how do we know when we're actually halfway there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, a big part of the the halfway is um, what you might call a dark night of the soul or a wall experience. And so I know you've had some of those. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that um, for sure. Well, I call it a dark nightmare of the soul. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about your, you grew up in a Christian family. Is that, is that right? You know, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, tell, tell us about that. I, I grew up in who wound up being a Christian family. Okay. Uh, we, we were, we were uh, churchgoers, but I don't know that we, any of us had relation, a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, but we, you know, we did the thing, we, we, we did the obligation and followed the rules for the most part. Uh, but, um, I didn't get much out of it. You know, I used to think God was this big, scary guy up, up in heaven that was sort of, you know, kind of angry all the time mm -hmm. or either, um, aloof and uh, disinterested. Yeah. And that was the impression that you got growing up, going to church. Right. But, so where did you find, where did you actually 
come to faith in Christ? When did that happen? Um, in 1975, after uh, at the age of 18, I was a really happy, outgoing, adventurous little kid, and um, I I never had a difficult moment. I did almost die when I was four. I fell off a high diving board during a uh, vacation with my family and landed on the concrete and uh, was not expected to live through the night, but someone stepped out of their comfort zone and came over and prayed for me and said, Lord, let this child live to love you and serve you. And somehow uh, the, the doctors did not think I would survive the night. I had uh, swelling on the brain, broken arm, you know, skull uh, damage, which explains a lot of who I am now probably. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so I, I recovered from that. And uh, so that my family totally spoiled me after that, you know, and it was like I could do no wrong. But when I hit school, um, I became the object of a lot of teasing ridicule, abuse, um, some sexual abuse too. And it was, uh, pretty horrific. I went through, uh, torment in my grade school years. Um, it was bad. I, I hated it, hated myself. And uh, by the time I got to high school, I learned how to be party boy. I played guitar and, you know, took drugs and did all these things and put on a good front so that people wouldn't see the dark, scared, lonely person hiding behind the mask. Yeah. Um, kind of the scenario that uh, a lot of comedians actually uh, have, have dark, dark history. Um, but when I uh, was 18, one day my mom, who at, the, at, at this point had now gotten saved and was like really saved. I mean, she was so in love with Jesus. She was like a Disney cartoon. I mean, she was hearing his voice, following his lead, doing whatever he told her. And she was amazing. I mean, the rest of us kind of kept a distance, but we were fascinated. And she drugged me to church. Uh, it was a different church she was going to now. And I didn't want to be there. You know, I, I, I had some good, uh, uh, dope rolled in the glove compartment waiting for me to get, you know, as soon as I got back in my car. But for some, uh, some reason, I was irresistibly drawn to the front of that mm -hmm. sanctuary at the end of the service and gave my life to Christ and all the dark, horrible things that, um, I had experienced up to that point, I laid at his feet. And, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, Eric, in that moment, it was almost like somebody opened up a whole new door of reality to me. You know, I used to think, kind of like in the movie matrix, there's something wrong with the world. I used to think there was a missing piece of, of my life, but I couldn't define it. But that day I found the missing piece and it fit perfectly into my heart. Wow. It was a person, his name is Jesus. And, um, he totally filled me with joy, love, acceptance, warmth. Um, but I had l learned to live with the fear of rejection so much so outside the church that now inside the church, I reverted to that double life yeah. and began uh, returning to my same sinful ways, only not telling anybody because I, I feared what would happen if they found out. I thought I was the worst person alive and um, that was pretty bad. So that double life went on. I mean, I really loved Christ. If anybody had looked at my history, they would have said, there's no way you're saved. Because it was as it was as dramatic a double life as you can think of, and um, but I really loved the Lord. I, I mean, I would share my faith with people. I wanted people to know this wonderful Jesus who'd come into my life, and yet in in the dark darkness of night, I would go and do vile and wicked things. Well, little by little, the Lord began to transform my life, and I started to grow. And one night. I was at church and the pastor was preaching on the subject of, of faith out of Hebrews it, where it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Eric, I, I had never fallen in love. In fact, I had, I had decided that my ability to fall in love was forever seared, that I would probably be single my whole life. But that night after that teaching, uh, my pastor said, is there anybody that 
Is there anything that anybody wants to pray for that's going to require faith, a miracle, a, a stepping out of the boat, so to speak, like like Peter did when he walked on water? And this thought hit me. How about a wife? I went, oh, well, that would take a miracle. Yeah. So I raised my hand and I prayed for a wife that night. I wrote it in the back of my Bible. And Eric, two days later, I, di- I didn't meet, but I sat next to my beautiful bride, Kathy. We didn't meet that night. And then that weekend, I was a hundred miles away from home. Uh, it was Memorial Day weekend and some friends of mine and I were about to uh, s- celebrate the holiday weekend with uh, a bunch of volleyball and revelry at the beach. And in the lobby of the hotel, I see a handicapped guy. And I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit. John, reach out to that guy. And I didn't want to do it, but I obeyed the Lord. And that guy, Eric, mm. the following night, he introduced me to that same girl that sat next to me in church, Kathy. And the moment I met her, my heart, I felt it change. God changed my heart and I fell instantly in love with her. I, I didn't know that. I did, I'd never experienced yeah. love. All I knew, I was walking on the ceiling and and I, I felt high as a kite. And uh, well, to make a long story short, she's been my beautiful bride now for 36 years. That's awesome. Wow. Was that your first encounter with sort of a divine, I don't know what the word is, divine kind of orchestration of events in your life? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, no, well, let me think. No, actually it wasn't. Um, when I first got saved, I had a couple of encounters like that. Mm. Really cool uh, things. I had a friend back then who was addicted to drugs and she, she'd never told me. But one night uh, in confidence, she did alert me to the fact that she was addicted to a particular drug. And as soon as she said it, I felt like God spoke into my heart and said, she's healed. Go tell her. Wow. And I'm like, what? And, but, I, but it was so real that I believed it. And so I went and told her, Judy, the Lord has just healed you. Give me your drugs. And I mean, she, she couldn't get up out of bed without taking these, these drugs. She, she would just sleep all day long. She was taking two different prescriptions from two different doctors. Neither one knew about the other. And she was looking for a third. You know, things were were really bad for her. Mm. But um, it took a while, but I convinced her to give me her drugs. We flushed them down the toilet. And the next day she completely forgot that she ever took them. She got up in the morning, cleaned her whole house. And that night we were together. And that's when it dawned on her. Oh, my gosh. I, I never took any of my pills Sorry. today and she was completely dramatically healed wow that's that's amazing sorry i didn't mean to interrupt the story i just saw i could take a picture and I... oh you took a screenshot cool okay <laughs> so, yeah so that there were a few instances like that um where god spoke very clearly to me using what i i like to think of as nudges he yeah kind of just nudged me to do something or say something and um i think a lot of us get those and we ignore them. We think it's just us and we, or we're afraid. And, you know, I, I'd like to submit that, that those nudges are the key to the adventurous life that God uh, designed for us all. It's, 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 it's walking hand in hand with not only your best friend, but the greatest superhero right. that's ever been born. Yeah. I see. That's part of the reason why I asked the question, because, you know, it's unique to even obey that response, that request to go and, um, you know, talk to the handicapped guy. Like that's, like you said, we kind of feel those things and we go, oh, I don't, you know, whatever, I'm not going to do that. And we disregard it and we, we think it's us instead of the Holy Spirit. And so I wondered if you had some practice with it and you, you did, that was kind of a, a thing that, that God maybe is indicative of how God interacts with you. I actually wrote a lot about that in my, in my book, War mm-hmm. on Fear. Yeah, I, I read it yesterday. I thought I thought that was great. Um, we'll get to the book, actually. I want to talk about that uh, some more. Okay. Um, so, okay, so that's that's an amazing experience, kind of meeting your wife and, and all of that. I'm wondering how you, how else you learned um, to walk with Jesus. 
uh, learning to take his word to take him <laughs> it's almost a pun but it's not really to take him at his word yeah right in other words to take his word for reality truth i mean we read it most of us like it's a greek mythology we yeah. don't appreciate the fact that the god who created eons of time and 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 just eternally expanding universes um gave us a, a life manual, told us a history, and explained exactly how we should live. And when we when we simply take him at his word and believe him, uh, life takes on a dramatic and amazing dimension. Um, <clears throat> I was a singer-songwriter before I became a Christian. So after I became a Christian, I continued to write songs. And um, I I had a a passion. I've always had a passion for people. Uh, I've always been an encourager, even when I was a little kid. And that didn't change. When, when I became a Christian, it, it actually grew. And so I wanted to write songs that would transform lives and, and create opportunities for people to have God moments. Um, so I went on the road, my wife and I, um, but I am horrible this is my, part of my halfway story. <laughs> and in fact, I don't, I don't even want to say this like it's reality because I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm better than I used to be. Uh, but back then, let's just put it this way. I was horrible at business. And so I was pretty good at music. People in, would enjoy their concerts. Um, but I was starving my family. <laughs> so, yeah. so my pastor at the time encouraged me to go literally go out, you know, get a real job. And uh, I had been working for my mom and dad. They had they had an appliance store in Orlando, Florida, where I live. And uh, when I left to pursue the music business, I said in my soul, I'll never come back here. Uh, you know, I, I didn't ha hate working there too much, but it, it just wasn't my passion. Yeah. Well, so I went groveling back to my dad and asked him if I could have my job back. And, of course, he smirked and acted like, you know, I knew he'd be back, you know. And uh, when I uh, metaphorically hang up, hung up my guitar in the closet, so to speak. There was this moment when I felt one of those nudges like the Lord was speaking to me. And, and, it, and it was just a reminder. And he said, don't forget, John, I used Moses after 40 years on the backside of the desert. Mm. So, I mean, I just tucked that away. You know, it's like, hmm. You know, when you're in your 20s, you don't want to hear about 40 years later, you know. Right. That's like yeah. forever, you know. Um, but here I am now there. It's pretty kind of crazy. Um, so I, I, I literally thought that it would be just a brief period of time that I would be learning business and then I'd be back out on the road because uh, sharing music and encouraging people, that was my passion. And a couple of years went by and a couple of years and I used to beg God, Eric, please don't let me miss your will. Please don't let me miss your will. Lord, I want you to maximize my life for your glory. And, and I would say, when, oh, when, Lord? And there was a, a striving in my soul to get back out there and do what I loved doing. But it was just like God was very relentless and patient, just kind of silent. And, and I felt like I was a camel walking on the backside of the desert with no destination and no idea of knowing when I was ever going to arrive anywhere. And it was very frustrating. Yeah. But but somewhere along there, after about the thousandth time of praying, God, please don't let me miss your will, I got another one of those nudges. And the Lord said, I heard you the first time. <laughs> what did you do with that? It was it was a paradigm shift. I yeah. thought, What? Oh yeah. It's like, it was like a, a it was like a re a dawning, a realization. God who created everything, who who you know, creates the atoms that are necessary for each and every blade of grass to grow. Surely he knows where I am. He knows what I'm doing. He knows my thoughts from afar, according to the scriptures. And, and, and he's got a plan and I can just <sighs> trust him. And so I did, I stopped pleading and begging and just trusted that when, and if he ever wanted me to do something that he knows where I am, and he'll make sure it happens. And what a relief. That was phenomenal. And it was still years later when, well, I guess that 
that's the rest of the story. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. So, but that's really interesting because you had to kind of go through this time of which I guess is it's easy to just call it your desert period, right? Of, yes. Of feeling like you weren't good enough. I'll tell you what I. Um, well, I, maybe maybe that's putting words in your mouth, but I resonate with that so much because um, I'll just share with you a little bit of my story. But I um, like I went to seminary. I took nine years to get through a three year degree. It was took forever, and uh, and then I got out and I graduated in '09. And um, there weren't a lot of jobs <laughs> in '09 for fresh graduates. And other people in my class had the same problem. And so I worked at a financial company for you know ten years after that. And feeling a lot the same way, like this is not what I'm made for. This is not where I belong in this six by six mm. cell with no locks and no doors. But I keep showing up every day and sitting here. And um, so that, like, when I heard you tell that story, I was like, ah, oh, I get it. I get what that feels like. It's it's a hard place to be. It it was hard, and and I did not feel. Yeah, my mom used to say, because I worked with my mom and my dad, and mom was so spirit-filled and loved the Lord, and she and I really were best friends. We were kind of partners on the adventure of Christianity. But she used to say to me, John, you were born for more than this. Mm. You know, we're working at the appliance store, delivering refrigerators. And although I would connect with customers and, and had opportunities for ministry, I, I knew she was right. Mm. The, and I knew in my heart I was born for more than working at an appliance store. And I would tell her that, but then I was able to add Eric, but I have peace Mm. that I'm right where God wants me for now. I had no idea what would come along. I had no idea if anything ever would come along, but I did have peace once I had that revelation that God was in control. Yeah. Which I think is the important part of that uh, desert experience that you have to come to, right? You have to come to a place of trusting God, even though you don't see him or feel him or seem like he's working in your life at all. Right. It's, it's, it's your, my faith grew by leaps and bounds during that season. Yeah. Wow. So any, what else were you learning in that season besides just trusting? Is there, is there like a, you know, were you doing Bible studies? Were you like, was there, was there more to that? Well, I was on the worship team at my church, and um, my beautiful bride and I were uh, making and raising children, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was sort of working on learning the lesson that it's not all about me, mm-hmm. uh, and that 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 was a lesson that came hard because I I am by nature very self focused, and I work hard against that. And because I know that it gets in the way of loving others. It, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to love somebody else when your um, eyes are on yourself. And mm. I heard somebody say recently, you can't learn anything while you're talking. <laughs> right. I thought, wow, that's profound. <laughs> I think I'll shut up now for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I love doing this because I get to ask the questions, right? And then yeah. <laughs> I can just yes. be quiet. But that, so I did... Only recently, just in the last couple of months, realized that all those years I spent on the phone, talking to customers, asking questions and being quiet is really great training for being a podcaster, mm. which is part of, part of my story. I hear that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So you have this time, you're, you're kind of come to some piece of, okay, this is where I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to follow the Lord no matter what. And then some doors start to open. And so tell us, tell us that story. They, I, they were the wrong doors. Okay. I was like, no, no. <laughs> right. Not the doors you expected. No. People started tapping me on the shoulder because, and telling me I look like this guy running for president, George W. Bush. Well, you know, everybody knows George Bush, his dad had been president yeah. and George, uh, and Jeb Bush, George Bush's brother was the governor of my state. Okay. So the Bush family, huge. So people are tapping me on the shoulder, telling me I look like George Bush. I think that's cool. You know, that's, that's cool. You know, Uh Uh, whatever, you know, but then, and, 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 and then he became president and I started hearing it all the time, you know, and I just thought, well, that's cool. I mean, there was nothing more to it. I, I had zero clue that there was anything going on. 
if 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 you get my meaning in, yeah. in God's economy. But on the evening of my mom's 85th birthday, my mom's now in heaven. Mom and dad are both uh, fully alive now in heaven. Mm. And, but at the evening of her 85th birthday, a friend of the family named Paula uh, informed me that there was an emerging industry of celebrity lookalikes, people who look like famous people who get hired to go to parties, shake hands, and act like they're somebody else. And she says, oh, you'd be perfect at that. She goes, you're so good at it. You're so outgoing and friendly and all this. Well, I had actually seen one of these people, Eric. And um, it was a Cher impersonator. <laughs> and if, you're, if, you, if you know who Cher is, she doesn't wear – well, she wears a lot of clothes, but all in the wrong places. Yes, right. You know, <laughs> on top of her head and, you know, it's just very strange. And this girl, I think she was probably new at it and – I felt dreadfully embarrassed for her. And I thought, oh. And so when my friend said, you should become a celebrity impersonator, that's what came to my mind. And yeah. all the hundreds of thousands of Elvis impersonators are yes. out there. You know, and I thought, no, only very weird people do that. And, and <laughs> you know, my own fear of rejection and every fear I ever had came bubbling immediately to the surface. And I thought, there is absolutely zero chance that I will ever do that. Number, you know, three main reasons. Number one, I follow God and there's no way God would do that with me or to me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and number two, I, 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 I kind of have a life now. I have friends, you know, I, I I'm sort of normal. I mean, I, 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 you know, I was thinking back to my, my grammar school years when I was the favorite person to throw wet sponges at, you know, it's like, no, I'm not going to set myself up for that. Right. No way. Um, so I just absolutely shut it down. Now my wife, my beautiful, uh, discerning wife thought, eh, maybe there's something there. So she tucked it away. And, uh, Eric, about three months after that party, my wife saw a George Bush impersonator named Steve Bridges, a phenomenal talent. He's been all around the world. Um, she saw him on the, the late, late night show. And, and she gets one of those nudges, do a web search. So she goes, hmm. So she gets on, on the computer and she found two guys uh, who are actually making really good money impersonating George W. Bush. And one of them doesn't look as much like him as I do. And here he is making a living to it. And the other guy, his whole face is prosthetics. Oh, he wow. doesn't look anything like George W. So she gets so excited. She woke, I, I was already asleep. She woke me up. She goes, honey, honey, wake up, wake up. I just found your new career. You're going to become a George Bush impersonator. And I'm like, huh? You know, she drug me over to the computer and, and, and showed me. And I went, Wow, it was fascinating that somebody was actually doing it and making money, but immediately all my fears and all my reasons why not, you know, see, in my religious paradigm, God, you know, I, I barely had room for God ever wanting anybody to be a Christian comedian, much less an impersonator. I mean, an impersonator, it, you know, it, in my mind, I'm going to go back out and sing. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and at that, the, par the party's almost over. The window's closing. I'm getting older. I don't want to be delayed with this fool foolishness, you know? Yeah. So I just said, it's cool, but no. But then I had this thought. It was a few days later. I had this thought. <sighs> Another one of those little God things. How do you know it's not God? Well. Well, maybe I don't know, but I know, but I, hmm, all of a sudden I felt responsible. Huh, I got to do something with this. So I thought, okay, if there's even a remote chance that this could be God, you know, then, then I'm scared out of my mind, <laughs> but I, <laughs> And I immediately thought of all the consequences. If if I do do something like this and it's not God, I'm gonna look like the biggest idiot ever. If I do something like this and I fail, I'm gonna look like the biggest idiot ever. I have four kids, four sons that are gonna 
hate me. You know, I mean, every, you know how fear will paint negative pictures for you. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I had a, a IMAX movie playing in my mind and here's this little voice saying, how do you know it's not God? And here's this IMAX movie saying, why do you even care? Yeah. But, but here's why I care because I love God and I trust God. And if in the off chance it is God, then that's the pinhole I need to get through. So I decided to fast. I, I skipped a meal. I said, I'm going to fast. I made a determination. I'm going to fast for two weeks and then I'm going to ask God if he wants me to do it. So I started uh, just skipping one meal a day and, and I didn't talk to God about it or anything because I didn't want any muddy water. I didn't want any kind of confusion. I didn't want it to be ambivalent at all. So I, at the end of the two weeks, I just said, okay, God, do you want me to become a George Bush impersonator? And, and Eric, his answer was as clear, if not clearer than a human voice. Wow. I didn't hear it in my audible mind, in my ears, but it was so clear in my heart that I absolutely knew beyond the shadow of a doubt, two things. Number one, that I had to become a George Bush impersonator or that I was being invited to become a George Bush impersonator. And it was up to me to say yes or no to obey God or not obey him. And number two, that George Bush was going to be reelected. Wow. Because it was three years now into his first term. And yeah. it doesn't make any sense if he doesn't get reelected. So yeah. I said, yes. Wow. That's and fascinating. Yeah. That's so interesting that that was kind of your experience with with God and that he was actually, he was speaking to you. I find those, those moments just so bit life-giving, right? They give, they it really bolster my faith to, to know that he's, he's speaking to you. It's like having Spider-Man as your best friend. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Only way better. Right. <laughs> right. More, more than just webs and buildings. To... <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I, that's, wow. That's really great. Okay. Yeah. His, 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 I like to say, this is how I swing. <laughs> what do you do next? Because you still have some fear that you got to get over, oh. right? You, you actually, you we we kind of breezed past this, but you like just to give people an idea of what fear was like in your life when you were tell the story about when you were um, awarded the the part in the play in, in oh, high yeah. school. <clears throat> well, as I shared with you all, I went through a. A, a grief stricken elementary school experience. And my self-concept was set during those years. I thought that I was a monster. I thought that I was worthless, less than zero. And I was put on a happy face just to survive. Um, if anybody ever tried to get intimate or ask me questions in high school, I would run and uh, jettison those relationships because I couldn't have anybody digging into my reality. You know, I was addicted to porn and, and, and it was just bad. I just did not like myself. Yeah. So, but I was, but I was this guy and I was still, my personality was still outward and friendly and, and uh, all my best friends were in the drama club. I, I had a four year high school and I'd been in the drama club all four years and I just had a wonderful season there. And I always picked non-threatening, easy, just a few lines so I could be in the play, but not ever uh, risk failure. Um, so senior year, it, we were doing, it was 1974. That'll age me for you. But we were doing the play 1984, George <laughs> Orwell's classic play about Big Brother. Which is still in the future. That's, I bet that was crazy. Yeah, it was in the future back then. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting. I in third grade, I had been picked again also to play the lead in our third grade class play, St. George the Dragon Slayer. And I think it's ironic. Fascinating. I think there's a fun bit of irony there because now I do play a George person <laughs> and I do fight against the dragon of fear as, yeah. a, as a lifestyle. Wow. So I thought that's kind of fun. But that even that experience went south because I forgot to use the bathroom before the play and I actually wet my pants on stage in that, in the midst of that, uh, performance. And, uh, sorry to say 
that happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's but, that. <laughs> but that is one of those reinforcing events, right? That says, oh, oh I, I can't so, so, do this. Yes. Yeah. So here we are. It's the auditions. And I've got my little teeny part all picked out. And uh, our drama club coach comes in and says, I am going to award the lead to our senior class play, your senior year. I'm not going to even audition it. I, I have picked somebody out who's been faithful, who's been, you know, a member for a long time and, and really, um, deserves the part. And I'm, I'm just sitting in the background thinking, okay, it's going to be this guy or that guy. And she goes, I'm giving the part to John Morgan. And I'm telling you, Fear started at the top of my head and went right down through my body and it shot out my feet like lightning. And I was absolutely stunned. The room erupted in applause, which just made it worse or better. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, everybody was like, yes, this is appropriate. This is right. This is the thing to do. Well, I immediately thought I want to (laughs) die. I mean, I had no no paradigm for this. I had no way to interpret this. I mean, I must have turned a hundred shades of red and, um, and I just thanked everybody. I didn't say a word. Um, and, and I left class that day and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't think I was just paralyzed with fear. And I was so overcome, Eric, that the next day I, I came and had a private meeting with my drama club coach and told her that I, I quit the drama club. I quit. Wow. Not just the play. I didn't just turn down the role. I ejected myself from the entire scenario out of fear. And it was so sad because now I know I could have rocked that part. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I just didn't know. I didn't believe it. I had no clue. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because, I mean, those, the room erupts to, to be, they're proud of you. They're excited about you and they love you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And because you didn't love yourself, you couldn't accept it. Right. You you couldn't see, I, I, I wrongly believed that if you don't try, you can't fail. Oh yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's not true because if you have something in sight, if you don't try, you have failed. Right. You have already failed. You failed to do anything, not just the thing that you want to do. Um, Wayne Gretzky says you, you, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. And I missed that one big time. Yeah. I mean, what a cool thing to have been able to say. You know, I, I play the lead in our senior class play, but sorry. So when the George W thing came along yeah, and God spoke to me and said, I want you to do this. And the IMAX movie is playing in one part of my brain. There's another part of my brain that says, I don't want to look back mm. 10 years from now and wonder what might've been. Yeah, you learned that lesson the hard way. I did. And so regret was saying you were like, no, I have I've experience with that. I'm not gonna not gonna let that happen again. And so you had Especially to since now I knew I knew it was God. Yeah. See, so if, interesting. You know, the, the the Bible talks about God leading us through the desert, leading us through the fire, leading us through the water. And most of us just reject that thinking, I don't ever want to go there. But how are you ever going to experience the fourth man in the fire? How are you ever going to experience that level of God's faithfulness if you don't walk through the storm? Yeah, absolutely. And those are the times when we learn the most, not just about ourselves, although we learn that, but also about God and his faithfulness and his plans for us. Absolutely. If Peter's not on the boat, there's no scenario for him to say, God, if it's really you, command me to come out of the boat and, and walk on the water with you. Oh yeah. And Jesus said, do it. Right. Which I think is fascinating. I, you know, I've always read that as when he, when Peter finally like is distracted by the waves, we, we sometimes read that with Jesus with a critical eye or sound or tone saying, why'd you doubt? Right. But I think Jesus was really compassionate to Peter. I think his, the way he said that to him was, you, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? 
you know, you, I had you right, right, right yeah. there. Let, oh man, you had this, you were there, yeah. you were doing it. Yeah. Like nobody else got out of the boat. Right. You know, it, we don't know this there. It's not in the Bible, but what if the next week Jesus and Peter went out walking on water? <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, but, cause he, cause he did it. How, how do we know he didn't do it some more? Right. You know? Right. And you, you eventually see Peter's faith turn around completely. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is awesome. Okay. I love all that. I could talk about, I have a degree in biblical studies. I could talk about the Bible all day long, <laughs> but uh, I want to talk about you. So we, um, the epistle of John. That's good too. Morgan. Oh, oh, I get it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it took just like a half second to, yeah, me. and it's not it's not with biblical authority, lest you theologians think <laughs> heresy. No, no, we all have epistles. We are all epistles uh, being read by others. Okay, oh, totally they don't have true. Bible authority, but are we not all sent forth as ambassadors? You know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so you decide I'm going to go for this. Like I'm going to do it. How did you overcome the fear, and, and how did you get started? <clears throat> the way you overcome a fear is by taking a step toward it. And so that's what I did. I thought, well, let me go on the internet and see what I can find out. And that was safe, right? There's no stage on the internet. I right. can just look around. And uh, I, I learned a ton and I said, okay, I need a, I need a place to practice this. And uh, so my sister, who's an attorney in Orlando, was having a Christmas party. And I said, can I come and try out this... Uh, George Bush impersonation thing I'm trying to put together at your Christmas party. Well, she wasn't even planning on entertainment, so why not? You know, yeah, uh, no pay, you know, yeah. low risk. So um, I, I, I literally copied and pasted Steve Bridges' entire performance because <laughs> I had no idea what to do. Oh, yeah. You know, there was no pay, and I thought, well, you know, I didn't know what the rules of comedy are and you're not supposed to steal other people's stuff. And, and, you know, I wound up with my own stuff, but, um, I mean, it totally rocked. I had no idea I had comedic timing. I had no idea I had stage presence. I had no idea that I had what it takes to succeed as an impersonator, but I've now been wow. you know, all around the world. Uh, I've done my impersonation in China Japan, Holland, Germany, I mean, a whole ton of other company, countries on TV, World Cup soccer stadiums where I was the guest of honor, where 35,000 people thought I was George W. Bush stepping out onto the stage, did my shtick, then introduced myself and shared my testimony. Wow. I mean, it's just been, uh, you know, recorded, um, I don't know how many dozens of podcast interviews like this been on uh, the 700 club and dozens of other television programs. And it's all just because I said yes mm. to that little pinhole of possibility that it's, it was God. Yeah. That's so powerful, right? Sometimes you just have to say yes and see what happens. Yeah. And you can't see through a pinhole all that God will bring out of it. You know, when I met Kathy, I, I just said yes to a little nudge. Right. And, and the guy that I talked to introduced me to my wife. Yeah. I now have four children, five grand. I mean, does none of that happen if I don't say yes to God? You know, God's sovereign. But he, folks, we let these little nudges go in and out of our brain. But this God who created the universe and, and is, loves you so much that he's infinite love. I mean, his definition is Love, that's his name. Why would he ask you to do something that wasn't the very best thing for you to do? In fact, you can always know that if God directs you to do something, no matter what it looks, no matter what the IMAX movie is playing on the fear screen, God has a blessing in it for you. He has a reward in it for you. He has an adventure in it for you. He has deeper trust in it for you. He has deeper relationship with himself. It's just awesome. It is awesome. Amen. Wow. Okay, I'm I'm inspired by that. So, um, you actually wrote a book called War on Fear. We talked about this a little bit. 
And that was, um, you know, you asked the question, what would you do if you were not afraid? Which I think is a great, is a great question. Uh, part of, part of my journey as well. Just asking that question, like, tell us about the book a little bit and where people can find it. Okay. Um, the Genesis, Genesis of the book came out of my own frustration with myself, not living, um, a more, I mean, I, 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 I guess I do live somewhat of an adventure, but I want to live more of an adventure. I want to live obedient, faithful to God. And one day during a worship service at church, I was singing and pondering these things. And I asked God, Lord, why is it that we don't live the Bible? And I, in the moment, I was thinking more the whole church, you know, worldwide. Why is it that, that people can just sit and go to Sunday meeting after Sunday meeting and never even step out of their comfort zone once? to, to have an adventure with, with God. And, and God's answer to my spirit was very immediate. He said, unbelief. Mm. And so right then and there, right out loud, right in the middle of a song, I said, I declare war on unbelief. I have no idea who heard me. I, maybe God shielded me. Nobody turned and looked at me. Um, but I felt the air sizzle with electricity when I said that. And it was like, Something real just happened. I literally, really, truly, and forever declared war on unbelief, and I, I can't go back. I won't go back. And it set in motion a lifestyle change for me where I started looking for and defeating unbelief in my life. And uh, a few weeks after that, I became aware that fear is unbelief's evil twin sister that fear and unbelief work in tandem to keep us away from our relationship with God. They're, they're the things that, that uh, life and the devil will use to most defeat the plan that God has for the church as a whole and you as an individual. So this time I was alone at home. And so at the top of my lungs, I shouted, I declare war on fear. And I meant it and I did it. And it was another no going back experience. And then I've started seeing, you know, like, you know, when you, you know, Cliff, our friend, our mutual friend, Cliff Ravenscraft, yeah. uh, from the free, the dream conference where you and I met, he's recently purchased his dream car, which is a yellow VW bug yeah. and a Volkswagen, a beetle. And, you know, once you buy a car, you see them everywhere and be, you know, because it's, it's, it's in your purview. It's in your radar. It's on your radar. So you start seeing them everywhere you go. Well, fear became in my purview, in my radar. And I started seeing people operating mm -hmm. out of fear everywhere I went. And I, I began to have compassion for them. And then I saw myself in like manner operating out of fear, being afraid and being disobedient out of that fear, which means I was being obedient to the fear, which makes me even matter to think that yeah. I would literally obey the devil. Ah, wow. Ah, disgust me. Um, and should disgust every one of our, of, of us who are Christians. We should be offended by our own, uh, willingness to so quickly and so easily disobey the one who died on the cross, shed his blood, loves us with intimate love, wants to walk with us. And we just, we just brush them off of our shoulder like a piece of lint. That's what we do with our God that we love, who loves us. Oh, I hope some of your listeners are getting stirred up by, by what I'm saying right now, because that's my hope, is to stir you up to yourself, declare war on fear, and begin to fight, begin to understand, begin to study. Just this morning, I was reading in Isaiah chapter 41, where God said, mm. don't be afraid, my little children. I'm with you. I'm walking with you and I will defeat your enemies. It's not like we have to do it. Right. All we have to do is lean into God, snuggle up under his wings. I mean, what could be easier, you know, and he fights our enemies. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And he's already de defeated, right? And he's, he's going ahead of us and he's, we, and we have to trust that we have to believe it. Yes, yes, yes. I forgot your original question. I, oh, me too. Oh, so I wrote a book. Oh yeah, you wrote the, <laughs> the book. Yes. So I, I wrote a book and uh, it's really a, a, a story, if you will, of my own journey and how fear uh, encaged me, imprisoned me and taunted me and teased me and mocked me and ridiculed me 
and held me as a captive, a POF, a prisoner of fear for many years. And then God broke me out. God broke me out and set me free. And how that prison mentality pulls at me and tries to draw me back, tries to encircle me and encage me again. But now I'm fighting back. See, I am not content to be a victim of fear. No way. That doesn't please God, and it doesn't look like God. It doesn't look like St. George the Dragon Slayer. It doesn't look like a son or daughter of the Most High God, which is who we are called to be. And I encourage the church, I encourage your listeners, I encourage people everywhere to rise up against this enemy and declare war for yourself, for your church, for our world, and let's let the church suddenly become filled with God and walk in the image of God, defeating fear left and right, taking the sword of the spirit, holding the shield of faith, our helmets uh, wearing the helmet of salvation, our feet shod with the gospel of peace, and let the church emerge. Mm. Amen, amen. Um, I've been praying for a long time for revival because America tends to have a revival every 50 years or so, mm. and we're a little bit overdue. And so I'm, well, we uh, had a mini one in the eighties. We did. You know what? And actually Pensacola, there was, there were a couple in the, in the nineties as well. But if you think about the great, anyway, it's, that's, we don't have to go. I could go in the history, but yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. we're overdue. Uh, and I, I would love to see that. I would love to see that. And if, if, uh, if, Saying to ourselves, "No, we're not going to obey fear. We're going to obey the Lord instead." Man, if that's what does it, let's let's go. Mm. Amen. Mm-mm-mm. So, oh, John, um, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. I want to tell our friends you can get War on Fear. I put a link in the show notes as always at halfwaytherepodcast.com. You can also uh, get it at Amazon or at your website, which is also linked in the in the. Uh, the notes there. Um, so thank you for that. And I also threw a link in there. Um, so you can, I don't know how many dates you're doing every year, but you, you people can book you if they want to bring you to a, an event. It's, it's there as well. So thank you uh, so much. If they want to go directly to my website to get an autographed copy, they can go to war on fear Perfect. That's great. That'd be awesome. You were kind enough to autograph uh, our book at, at the conference. And I appreciate that as well um great well john is there anything you want to leave us with i could share with you my donald trump impression (laughs) do more of that folks what you've got to learn to do is call out fake news for being fake okay everything that the devil tries to do it's a lie okay if he's lying his mouth is open if his mouth is open he's telling you a lie either about yourself about your god (laughs) about your church about your world and folks trust me it's going to be huge. <laughs> That's fantastic, John. Thank you. Uh, I love it. Friends, be sure to leave a rating or review in iTunes if you haven't done that already. And uh, thanks for downloading. John, thanks for being here. You're very welcome, my friend.